as we continue our exploration into the Kawabunga summer, we are leaving the 90s behind, baby. Maybe we'll be back to talk some stuff in there. But now, we're jumping to that mighty fine decade known as the 2000s. The world was changing. What happened? A housing crisis. <laughs> and other stuff. But it's crazy to think about how big the world changed from the 90s to the 2000s. Including the Ninja Turtles. They were forgotten for a minute. We had a 2003 cartoon that was pretty good. The iteration I watched the most growing up, still probably my favorite iteration. That was on television. Nobody really did anything movie-wise until about the year 2007, where some guy who worked on the video graphics for video games said, I have a pitch for a Ninja Turtle movie. Went to Warner Brothers and the Weinstein Company, two people and two companies that are really important right now and we should be talking about them because of the good things they do to their writers and actors. I digress. We get TMNT, 2007's TMNT, the forgotten relic of the Ninja Turtle era. Now, we should preface this by saying, this is the movie I grew up on. I have seen the 90s one more and I have watched all those movies a bunch, but the 2007 TMNT movie was the first Ninja Turtle movie I saw in theaters. I was a young boy. I just remember sitting there thinking, well, this is the greatest experience I've had in my life. And I've watched this movie subsequent times after that. And every time I watch this movie, it just, it just sparks so much joy into my mind because it does stuff we don't do anymore in terms of these movies and in terms of the turtles. And like having this just exist in that bubble is such a cool thing to see. I love this movie. It's going to be very hesitant for a lot of people, and I get that, because the animation is very of the era, but my god, does the animation look really good at a lot of the time, and really bad some of the time. I appreciate that. This is up until now, and we'll continue talking about these movies for a few more weeks. This is my favorite Ninja Turtle movie. This is the one I've waited to talk about. This is the one I've been super excited to talk about, because it's the best one. This is... A type of Ninja Turtle story in, you know, a big movie that we may never get again and there's a chance we are never going to see the likes of it again. It's less of a comedy and more of just like a drama and an experience and I think that is such a cool thing to see and explore. It's like the progression of the previous installments. You could look at this movie as the spiritual successor to the trilogy in the 90s. The kids are no longer 15 to 16. They are now portrayed and behaving as 18 or 19. They've grown up a bit. They've had their battles won. They defeated the Shredder. They have grown up and they've moved on to new heights. We don't explicitly like reveal the age of the turtles, but it feels like they are portrayed as older people now they're older they've had this trauma as kids they're dealing with it now and it's so cool to experience that this movie has one of like my favorite openings for any ninja turtle movie ever probably my favorite opening yes we have like the really okay so we have like three beginning parts you have the one where it's Lawrence fishburne going four brothers named after the renaissance artists of the time they're these powerful people who have won their battles, defeated their demons, and now a new demon comes, and then, like, that's part two. You know, the Yautel, and then, you know, the general, and, like, his soldiers, and there's, like, a battle 3,000 years ago, and the stars align, and a portal of monsters opens up. Look, that's stuff I could give or take. Works for this movie, because it juxtaposes everything we've seen going on here, but that's just insane and cool. I, I Look, I like it, it's fine, but the stuff that just floors me more than anything else in these movies is this opening sequence in Central America when these, you know, evil militia guys are like terrorizing this village and suddenly they're like attacked by the ghost of the jungle. And we know who the ghost of the jungle is, but nobody else does. We see this figure hanging out in like the trees, having saved like these people from its militia. And then April of all people shows up because she collects artifacts in this interpretation. And she stumbles upon the cavern in which the Ninja Turtle Leonardo is living. And this is where, like, right from the beginning, it's like, 
We're doing something new. Leonardo was sent by his father to go train to be a better leader. When he could come back, he could lead his team. It's no longer like a brotherly thing anymore. They're not teenagers like studying under their father. This is him taking up the ranks. But his fear and his anxiety about going back and disappointing his father and his brothers has forced him to remain in the jungle of Central America for a year longer than he was supposed to be. That's amazing. And as April's explained to him, like, yeah, things aren't really good back home. He's like, I'm sure Donnie's taking care of it. Donnie's working tech support. He has a job. He's trying to provide for his family, which is great. There's a funny sex line joke in there, and I thought that was great. Michelangelo has a job, too, where he is just, you know, a birthday clown. And it's so fun. Cowbunga Carls. It's great. And he's like, okay, what's Raph doing? He's like, nothing. He just sleeps all day. Then what's he doing at night? And this is where we get... One of my favorite things ever, because I, I love this detail. It's such a strong idea for the Turtles. Even if they're not fighting crime, Raph still is a vigilante. He becomes the Night Watcher, which I love to see. He wears a big metal suit, which does have some of that like Frank Miller inspiration behind it, which is known for the Turtles, and he just becomes like a vigilante taking care of business, who sometimes and sometimes doesn't team up with Casey Jones, which is great. And the other thing I just adore about this movie is we use real voice actors for every single one of the Turtles. All of them are voiced by an actual voice actor. Noel North doing Raphael, of course. James Arnold doing Leonardo. It's amazing. It sounds great. And just in like the opening little bit of this movie, you just get the sense that time has passed and they've all kind of grown up. Like when Michelangelo comes home from his job, he sits on the couch and he watches like the news exploits of the Night Watcher. He's like, yeah, I remember that feeling as if it's been like decades since he's been like out in the field when it's probably just been like a year or so. And he's like, I remember that feeling. He's like, beat them up. You can get the glory. And Don's like, just relax like that was a long time ago we've all moved on from it i do like that feeling i like the sense that when splinter first shows up he's just like we need we need leo here because we're not a complete unit without him we're not good without him like that is so the thing is like this could be like an element that upsets a lot of turtle fans where this movie does rely on leonardo being the the center of this universe and without him we all kind of like go our separate ways it handles it with a different brevity than other stories would because leonardo is scared in this entire movie he wants to be the person his dad needs him to be but his brothers are so disheartened by his entire being except for michelangelo pretty much that it's just we don't really need to follow you they'll crack jokes when he returns but it's one of the most believable like dynamics that you see between Leonardo and Raphael with like their tension rising because you do understand that. And I think it's really cool. And yeah, you got like the O'Neill cargo where she's delivering like a big statue of like, look, we know from the beginning that like, you know, Winters is the general who's 3000 years old and like this, the planets are aligning and that we, we figured that out from the beginning. We're smart about that. It also feels like an evolution of the Casey Jones and April O'Neil relationship where they're like, they're together. She wants more from him, but he's kind of like stuck in the same way as Raphael, where it's like, you miss the glory days. The two of them have a really great conversation, just beating up a thug one time, just talking about like things are what they used to be. Like April wants to get married and like have a family and settle down. And I'm just like, I want to go beat up a guy in a hockey mask. And I just, I love that. I love that. It, it makes... Casey and April seem younger, but they're also more matured now, and I appreciate that part of the story. My god, is that amazing. You just see, like, Raph is working himself to the bone, that he just literally falls asleep talking with Casey because of how, how hard he's going to, like, keep up this persona that he's created for himself. It's so cool. I, I love it. I love it. I like Sarah Michelle Gellar doing April. I like Chris Evans doing Casey like they're doing like an early version of Chris Evans so he he's not you know the famous guy he's gonna be he's still coming into his own which is pretty exciting now with this weird portal in the yachtle like when the statues wake up they need to find the 13 monsters that were released into the world and put them back into the portal when it aligns so Winters and his people lose their immortality and that's kind of a fun thing. So a lot of this movie is just we have to find these monsters. We have the first opening fight once Leo returns home 
where he they just like go to fight it. I oh. so the quiet moments in this movie that I just I love so much. When when Leo first returns home and he goes to see his father first, he's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, You don't you don't owe me an apology. The burden of leadership affects us all differently. And the fact that you return it all shows that you have learned your lesson and you are capable of being the leader. But the person you shouldn't the person you should apologize to is your brother Raphael because you leaving has affected him. Which I love that dynamic of Raphael always in every iteration doesn't want his brother Leonardo to lead and will always call him out when he's being goofy. But this is one where it's like you left and I stepped up not in the way of maybe like keeping this family together, but in keeping New York safe. You abandon your home. I just, I love that. Just like that anger. Cause like the oldest son got to travel the world and leave while the, the younger one had to stay home and keep things going. That's, that is essentially what this plot is. Michelangelo and Donatello have jobs. Raphael's keeping the streets clean. It's so amazing. And I just love that. The simplicity of just like Donnie and Mikey don't really have like a strong reaction to him returning. Donnie's just like, hey, you're back. Michelangelo's a little more excited. Because he needs his family. Michelangelo needs his family. I do not hate a single interpretation of any of the turtles in this movie. I do think it underutilizes the characters of Donatello and Michelangelo slightly, but they're not the emotional crux of this story. If we were to explore more in this universe, they probably would be, but they're not. So we have the fight where they see the foot clad again, fighting a big, like, weird Bigfoot thing, and then it just becomes like we're capturing these monsters, and it leads to some really cool moments. You know, one of the statues chases Raph and Casey, which is very exciting. It leads to the iconic sequence of, like, Black Betty playing as Raphael is the Night Watcher, and he walks into this diner, and he fights the Jersey Devil, and it's just really exciting, and we love that stuff. It looks so good. Like, uh, the animation, I, I like it. I think it holds up, especially in, like, close-ups. And a lot of the more, like, emotionally potent parts of the story, it looks really good and holds up really well. Like this sequence, which might be my favorite sequence in any single Ninja Turtle property ever. I love it. So after Raphael fights the Jersey Devil, and he's, like found because he's the night watcher at that point he's like found by leonardo and leonardo's like look you're doing good dude but you're going about this wrong you're angry you're aggressive you're not getting this right and then he's just like shut up this is it like this is the biggest most impactful moment that i think needed to come eventually in some form of like ninja turtle content the confrontation between leonardo and Raphael. these two guys and, and look i love all the turtles i've always been a donatello stan that's just me I, I just think these two guys are the most arrogant and selfish and fueled by anger compared to the rest of the, like the family. So just the idea that they're fighting and you just see Raph getting angrier because Leonardo was like getting cocky that he can beat him. Like when you, when you lose control of your anger, you lose sight of everything and he just punches the Night Watcher and the helmet comes off and that's when he realizes it's Raph. And he's just getting mad and Raph's like, you got some nerve, you arrogant guy. Like, showing back up, thinking we're just going to fall under your lead. You left us! And I'm like, yes, he did leave you! Raph, you are in the right! But Leo is in the right, too, just saying, like, you're letting your anger fuel you, Raph. You're going about this wrong. Like, this isn't protection anymore. It's just fueling your own ego. Which is exactly what Leo's kind of doing, trying to become the leader again. And he's like, you're sloppy, you're arrogant, and more importantly, I'm better than you. And oh... That line, like that line, I don't think another Ninja Turtle, anything, would have that line of Leonardo just being like, Raph, you're not going to listen to me unless I talk on your level. And then they fight, and it's a beautiful fight with the two of them just at, at odds the entire time, but sparring evenly the whole time, leading to like a really powerful climactic moment where Raph overpowers him because he, he has the rage and the strength in that moment. And he breaks Leo's katanas and Leo gets kidnapped by the auto statues and the Foot Clan. And oh, I I love that moment more than I think any other in any Ninja Turtle thing. That might be, when I was a kid watching that, I'm like, holy shit, what are we doing? Why are they fighting? There's so many emotions going on. I watch it now. I'm blown away. I am blown away by what I am seeing. And it's just really good. And that's, that is what makes Raph realize the arrogance of what he was doing and not seeing what his brother was trying to do. 
And that leads to the sequence where they have to go to Winter's Tower and fight their way through the hordes to get the brother back. It's amazing. Look, we have costume upgrades for April and Casey. They put on some cool costumes. Master Splinter shows up. He's like, we've been hiding for too long. It's time we step up. Just watching them slaughter a bunch. Well, not even slaughter. Just fight through the hordes of Foot Clan to get into the building. It's so good. And it looks so great. And this interpretation of Karai is great, too, because she is just like, yeah, you probably know names within our genre, but you don't know me. We're probably going to like cross paths again. I love that. A great design for her, too. I just really love that the whole crux for Winters here, played by Patrick Stewart, of all guys, is just, I don't want to live forever anymore. So when these planets align, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> it's so good. But then his like statue brothers are like, no, you're not. You're being arrogant. You can't decide the fate of all of us for that. Hmm. Sounds like it's going juxtaposition with the events of the Turtles. That's good writing. That's good writing. Then a fight. Big fight. The big fight looks great. Everybody gets their moment. It looks fantastic. We're having a good time. We eventually get the 13th monster. We lead it into the thing. We close the portal. Everybody's happy. Reunited family. It works great. And Winters kills himself. And I just... I love this because, look, it's kind of dumb. Like, the planets align every 3,000 years and the monsters could come out and take over the world. I really like that it's like that type of story you need to tell to like show you like the importance of this family structure because the villains are a family the heroes are a family when they are united together they can literally stop the end of the world i appreciate that it is such like a quietly mature idea for the turtles they have grown up they have separated they have their own lives now but they long for those days of like brotherly connection that is hard to have sometimes when you mature and become your own individual it's the fear it's the shame it's the anger of being alone and not having your family with you and to explore that in a ninja turtle thing is really cool with the ultimate the ultimate like portrayal of the tension of raph and leo it's really strong. There's some good jokes from Mikey in there. Donatello does some fun stuff. You have good portrayals of everybody. And then just like big crazy monsters, like a gargoyle one and a spider one. I can't be mad at this movie. I think it's perfect and it's fun and the script is great. And the voice acting is voice actors, so it's well executed. And the animation, well, look, a little video gamey and kind of like that cheaper aesthetic. It looks good. There is money poured into this thing, and it's a shame we're never going to see a sequel to this, and we'll never attempt this type of story again. It's not like the last Ronin levels of, like, dark and brooding, but these are mature themes about failure and disappointment to your family that we hardly explore in these anymore, unlike this level. I just appreciate this film so much. It looks incredibly good. God, I just love it. Big monster designs, good Foot Clan designs. Everybody looks great. The voices are just great. And that, op like, the opening sequence of just Leo realizing what he left and what his brothers have become without him. Yeah, it does have, like, the kind of, like, the savior complex for Leo, which I'm not a big fan of, but I can't disagree with the actions that are taken in this movie. I think it does it well. The choices are strong. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. TMNT is a good movie. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. I will say this until I die. This is the best Ninja Turtle movie. Will it get better? It's hard to say. Will it get worse? Yes. But this is the one that I will think about every day of my life. It is so good. So amazing. The Cowabunga Summer continues as we are jumping into... Is this the first? No, it can't be the first, you know, TV movie we're covering on Movie Tales, is it? I don't know. Interesting. Hey, it's Turtles Forever. Before we jump into the ones you probably want to hear me talk about more, we have to talk about this one. This is the culmination of the 2003 cartoon, the era I grew up watching. So they had a TV movie, which was kind of split into four parts called Turtles Forever. So... That show ran for seven seasons. Season five was kind of like, what if we did like Ninja Tribunal stuff? Season six was, what if we went to the future? Remember that? Fast forward. Season seven, what if they went back to the sewers and Shredder was in a computer or something? Tron. <laughs> and then to wrap that up, 
they decided, let's do Turtles Forever, a celebration of the Ninja Turtles mythos. That's what we're doing here. And that's what this movie is. I remember seeing this as a young boy. And I was like, I'm hyped. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. They want to see the 80s cartoon? I mean, I haven't seen that all when I was a kid. So I'm like, yeah, let's, uh, let's see what that is. Watching it now. It's a TV movie, and it's just like the end of the show, and it's fine. I think this concept has been done better in other shows. The 2012 one did like the Dimensional Crossover one, where they had the actual voice actors from the 80s cartoon voice the Turtles. This one doesn't. It's just kind of sillier that way, and it doesn't work as well, but... It's kind of meta and fun. It is very, like, on the nose about what it's doing, and I appreciate that. And it goes into areas you're not really expecting. So that's kind of fun, I guess. You know, it's a lot like No Way Home, <laughs> but that's just kind of fun. First thing, if you've just been, like, watching the movies and you haven't watched the 2003 cartoon, this isn't the way the characters have looked the whole time. This is, like, the shift in style for the seventh season. Splinter looks terrible, April looks terrible, everybody looks bad. I, I hate the way they all look, it does not work for the show, and it's ugly and stupid and boring. And then, you know, the hunch is doing a thing, and then the turtles show up, but it's not the turtles of the 2003 show, it's the turtles of the 80s show. And then half this movie is just uh, their interactions. And I guess that's what you're here for, you know? Like, that's what you want to see, isn't it? It's fine, I just, it's such of like... Yeah, we want to, like, show you we love the Turtles and support it, but this middle stuff just doesn't feel like that. There are some clever bits in there and some fun jokes. I love the bit where 80s Raphael keeps breaking the fourth wall and Hun is getting more and more pissed, like, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? That's really funny. I dig that a lot. I also like just the casual way they have stupid weapons and can do anything. We have anti-technodrome technology that can stop the technodrome. What does that even mean? That's not technology, that's just stuff you have. Ridiculous, it's funny, it's cool. It's all about the tonal shift, which I, I love how it sets up like, the 80s one, it's the 80s. Look how weird we are. It's loud and dumb. It's silly. They're not serious. April gets attacked by pizza and bananas, and you're like, okay. And in this one, they're so serious and brooding, but they're not really, and everyone's just like, would you shut up for a minute and just let us think? Which is kind of fun. Raphael of the 2003 era, he's pissed off the whole time. But Michelangelo of the 2003 era is just like, I like these little guys. Look at these little goofballs just being little silly boys around here. It's fun. Until he gets annoyed, and I love that. I love that it both reveres the 80s cartoon, but takes the time to be like, shut up. We're not there anymore. This isn't fun for us. You're annoying and lazy and we don't like you. Please stop. I appreciate that so much. So what's the plot of this? You know, tech, technology sends the turtles. There's like a rift. They show up in the 2003 dimension. Okay, the 80s shredder is like, hey, Krang? Which, okay, that right there is like my first thing. I remember from the 80s stuff that Krang was the one in charge and Shredder was the boob who was bigger than the other boobs, you know? So the hierarchy went Krang, Shredder, then Bebop and Rocksteady. But in this one, they make it feel like Shredder is like above Krang, which I don't think is right. That doesn't feel right to me because it's Krang's Technodrome, not Shredder. So that felt very weird. But this Shredder's like, well, we're in a different dimension. And the turtles are here, and there's eight of them now, and we're going to have, like, a fight, which is kind of fun. I love that first fight with, like, the Technodrome, where they start fighting, like, the 80s foot soldiers, and they just, they're just, like, robots, and they're like, what? That's dumb. And then they trap Bebop and Rocksteady in, like, sand and rocks, and you're like, what? You're not going to do anything to them? I th Like, that kind of stuff is funny. And that's how you do it. And then the 80s Shredder's like, hmm... If there's turtles here, perhaps there would be a shredder. Well, there is. We know it's an Utrom shredder because there's an infinite multiverse of shredders. This one we put on ice because he's literally on ice. This shredder has been put on ice for the 2003 shit. And this shredder of the 80s just uses like a transdimensional portal, pulls him down, they open him up, he gets pissed off, and then that's what this becomes. This becomes the 2003 shredder just being like, I don't care 
about any of your other shredders, the, the Mirage one, the stupid cartoon one. I'm the shredder. I'm scary. I'm intense and going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And that's what he does. He takes control of the entire operation. He gets Karai and his foot soldiers to help out. They manage to take over the Technodrome. They suit it up. And he learns about the infinite multiverse of turtles. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to kill them all. That's what, that is what this plot becomes. We're going to kill all the turtles in the multiverse and... I'll take over. Why? Because he's pissed off at the turtles. That's all this is. That's all this is. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm here for that. Like, that's a that's a fun idea. Just on a metatextual level that a shredder is supposedly the most intimidating creature in the turtles universe. And then this one's like a weird freaky alien creep. And he's actually like deadly and going to kill everybody. I like that. That's a really cool vibe that I can get behind. It's just so funny to see the the contrast between the 80s and the 2003 Shredder, where he's like, yeah, this is just a fun moment we're having. Look at us just battle. I'm never going to win, but this Shredder, he fucks. He's going to kick some serious ass. And he does, and his plan gets so convoluted, that's going to destroy the entirety of existence. And you're like, why? What, for, to what end do you want to win, you know? It's very bizarre. But again, we cut that with, like, hijinks where, like, you know, the 2003 goes to, like, the 80s era. And it's like, hey, why is April wearing, like, a jumpsuit and getting attacked all the time? And the splinter's so nice and everything's just so different and weird here. It's kind of pleasant. And they build, like, a trans-dimensional hopping device with a flashlight. And it's cool. Another thing I just really appreciate is, like, the Donatellos get a lot of play here. Both of them are allowed to be smart in different ways, and I respect that. Where the Raphaels, you know, they, they're kind of more sarcastic, or the one is, and the Leonardos don't get much to do. I, I do appreciate that kind of thing. Makes for a nice little moment. What? Sucks that this is just a bizarre thing that happens. I don't really get that. There's not much to talk about, really. Like, they just get pissed at the 80s ones, and they learn a lesson about being better. And the whole time, you're like, I guess this is fun. You know, I guess we're feeling good about this situation. Like, we're enjoying ourselves, and... There are some good music stings and there's some good moments going on, but it really picks up in the end where it gets really meta and funny, which I, I appreciate the ending so much. 2003 Shredder captures them all and he puts them in like a weird like a sphere. They spin around until they disintegrate. And he's like, I've traveled through the entire realms of the multiverse and so there's always a turtle there. And then we just get glimpses of every other iteration of the turtles up to that point which is so cool to see because it's only 2009 so you get like the mirage comics and the image comics and the archie comics and like the urban legend comics and stuff like that and then the movies and then like the other cartoons and then like flashes forwards from the actual cartoon we're watching and then the 2007 iteration and they're just like on screens and i'm like that's that's like, it's TV. Like, the fact that they did that at all, because all of those are associated with, like, different companies and studios, that's impressive. Like, I can't be mad at it for doing that. It looked interesting. And when you think all hope is lost, and the turtles are gonna die, they're actually secretly saved by Karai, because the Shredder's plan is to destroy Turtle Prime, which I love what Turtle Prime is. It's so good. So, we see universes literally being erased by like a pen kind of that, that's the implication where because they are like a comic book creation the world fades to white and like ink outlines until everybody dies and like we see casey and april like become nothingness and it's crazy but i, I do appreciate that what a fun little touch to bring this back to comic book fun but the 80s and 2003 turtles go to turtle prime which is the Mirage comic book. It's in black and white. Everything's intense and crazy. And it's the perfect blend of the evolution of these characters because when we see the uh, Mirage Turtles, they're dark and brooding and Frank Millering all over the place. You have the 80s ones. We're fun and goofy and lighthearted. The 2003 ones, perfectly fun, perfectly dramatic, but brooding. Mirage ones, just brooding. Everybody's intense. It's scary and, and dark and it's so fun. And I just, my, it's like my favorite joke in the entire, like, movie, where it's like, I think it's Dontello who's just like, you guys, there's like, the Technodrome is coming here. It's like this big device that can, like, kill everything in existence. The Technodrome, what is it? What is it? It's like, well, I have this device that can track it. And then the Mirage Leonardo is like, is that it? And just points behind them to, like, the big thing that's destroying the city. And he's like, it's been doing that for, like, a week. 
I don't know why. It's just weird that that's happening. And then it just turns into the Mirage, the 80s and the 2003 Turtles fighting 03 Shredder. And it's insane. And then 80s Krang gets super big to fight the big Shredder. And it's a really good thing. It's like, this is so cool. Like, that's the stuff I like. I don't need all the, the middle bullshit that's just whatever. I like this stuff. This intense, stupid shit. And I love the way he's defeated. <laughs> is that Bebop and Rocksteady are bamboozled by Shredder and Krang of the 80s universe. They break themselves free. One of them trips over a cord that powers off the laser. And the Shredder's like, you can't defeat me. Not only that laser could hurt me. They plug it back in and he's defeated. <laughs> like, that's funny. That it's just that big laser is controlled by a cord. That is hilarious and so fun and cool. And then they save the day and everybody wins and it's Turtles forever. Like, if that's the last Turtle story ever told... I guess that one, because they all learn a lesson. The 80s ones learn to grow up a little bit. 2003 ones learn to have a little bit more fun and have less stakes at everything. And the Mirage ones could go for a slice of pizza and the episode ends with them doing the iconic pose, jumping down and get a slice. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fun. I had a good time with this. The animation looks bad sometimes, but it's television. You know, it doesn't render perfectly and it's not. it hasn't been like remastered, so... You're just getting a shitty version if you watch it on Paramount+. Plus. I don't know. I just don't like the design of the 2003 that they went for in that. It's just not the good designs. Not the good designs. And the 80s ones should have got the voice actors back is all I'm saying. But the Mirage stuff, that's really fun. It's a really good idea. I think it works better than anything else in here. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on the 2003 era, I did an episode of the Geek Way of talking about that because it's the one I grew up with. It's really good. And this being like the culmination of that entire series, I just wish it was a little more interesting as opposed to just, you know, I'm so sick of these 80s guys. They're so annoying. Like, yeah, we, we agree with you. You couldn't show it to a kid today. I guess Toka and Raza are in this too, if you care about that at all. And Hun becomes like a turtle, whatever. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. The best part is just plugging in a cord and killing a big shredder Utron. That's sick. That's fun. That's Turtles Forever. It's not the worst Turtles movie we've talked about, but hey, is it far from the best. Well, we're here, folks. We have made it to the end of the Cowabunga Summer. We've talked about every Ninja Turtle movie, done multiple episodes of the podcast talking about it. We have talked about Mutant Mayhem. We're ending things on a high note. There's a couple other videos that are going to be coming out after this that are kind of in conjunction to other stuff I've talked about. But this is the last movie we're talking about. Of course, there is the Rise of the TMNT, the movie. That falls under a category that I don't want to talk about because it's a little too recent. So maybe I'll come back and talk about it in a little bit. But we're ending here on a very high note. <laughs> uh, the Michael Bay produced ones. Yeah, okay. Full disclosure, folks. When I do these reviews, I talk about movies and stuff. I like to do like an off off the cusp just like conversation I don't take notes because I think it's more fun when it sounds like we're two people just talking about something having just viewed it and experiencing it that's fun to me I watched both of these movies back to back Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2014 and the sequel called Out of the Shadows I watched both of them back to back two days ago prior to this video being recorded I I don't remember what happened <laughs> I vaguely remember. Full disclosure, these are the worst two, essentially. I do think the third one of, like, the 90s is a, a worse made movie. But I have nothing to really talk about with these two. It's from this era that is just so forgettable, so uninspired, and it just feels like we're, we just want to be a Marvel movie so bad. It's such, like, a post-MCU movie. Do you remember, like, that era where everyone wanted to try this. We're like coming off the success of like, these Transformers movies are making a billion dollars. We have to do that with something else. What else do we have? Paramount, what do we have? Ninja Turtles, that's great. What if the guy that made the Transformers work came back and did it? He's not feuding with Megan Fox anymore. We can make movie again. There you go. That's all that is really. Man, that era is crazy. I, I, that's kind of like the era where I'm coming into my voice 
as this type of pundit, as like a critic, where I'm a young man. I think at the time of the first one, I would be coming on to late teens and I'm like, the Turtles have always been good to me. I love them immensely. I haven't loved every single Transformers movie that comes out, but I can appreciate the fun. I'm still buying all the Transformers toys, you know, like I'm having a good time. And then I watched the first one. I remember I went to this movie opening night in my small town cinema, not a packed house, but I was just like, I got nothing to do. I'm going to walk to the theater. And I came down, I was kind of pumped. And I left with this feeling of like, okay, we did that, didn't we? I, <laughs> this, I think, is the most egregious of all the Ninja Turtle films we're talking about. It feels the most boring and lame and I don't have anything that positive to say about it it's just uninspired and gross and you're walking away you feel like a studio interference changing a lot of things you feel the product placement not being forced down your throat but you're like what if we're spinning around and like a, a pizza hut box just lands in front of you and you're like yeah okay what if Will Arnett drives up in like a nice car you're like okay I get it it's not interesting <laughs> This one also had, like, a lot of controversy around it because they want to, like, change it up. Like, what if they were aliens, man? What if Johnny Knoxville was a turtle? You're like, shut up. Nobody wants that. Like, you have a premise that works. You should stick to it. And what's that premise? What if the ugliest things ever known to man had to become Captain America heroes? That, oh, before we get into this movie, let's just talk about the designs for a little bit. I understand modernizing a concept. I think a perfect modern update for these characters has come in subsequent stories. The 2012 era, Rise of the Team and T, Mutant Mayhem, perfect updates of those characters. You look at these like seven foot bricks and tell me they're 15 years old. They're not. You didn't get actors that were 15. Nobody sounds like they're 15. They dress with like pants and one has a sweater wrapped around his legs. And they have like necklaces and just shit covering their body. And their faces look stupid. Like it's not, it's not even like close to turtley. It tries, but it feels more just like a, like a hodgepodge of just basic green skinned blecks that we had lying around. They look bad and dumb. And when your lead characters look bad and dumb, Nobody's excited about your movie, dude. And it looks stupid and stupid, and I hate it. And these are the worst designs they've ever done. They kind of get better in the next movie, but look, they're just so gross, and they're all like spindly and yucky, and I'm pretty sure Michelangelo's a pervert in this. Dude is horny. A common conception that comes across all the time now is a turtle wanting an April snack. This one feels like a predator lurking for his prey, and it's very strange. Speaking of which, this is kind of an April-focused movie, which I loved about the first one from the 90s. That was really cool. What makes this one different is a bunch of things. One, into the 2010s, nothing's interesting anymore. We have everything at our fingertips. Who cares about anything that happens any of the time? It all sucks. None of it matters. It's gross and boring. So I don't care about any news piece that a reporter's trying to get a scoop on. It's like, shut up. Just go to Twitter. Someone will tell you it. Like, it's not that compelling. And then you have the Megan Fox of it all. Now, here's the thing. If there's one thing I want you to come out of this video thinking, because it's the only positive thing I have to say about this original movie, Megan Fox seems like she's really cool. I think she'd be a really fun person to spend a weekend with. Not to, like, see every day or, like, you know, date, just to be like, yeah, we could, you know, go for coffee, have some drinks in the evening, go party a little bit, you know, just go to like a bookstore or something like that. She seems kind of nerdy, kind of fun. And I feel like she understands what this movie is supposed to be. What she's doing is what the script asks of her, and it's nothing great, but it's also like trying to convey that there is an interest and plausible deniability that she is aware of the turtle as like a brand. She plays this like somebody that knows what a ninja turtle is, which weird, but I get it. She's kind of a nerdy girl. I think she does the best out of anybody in this movie. And that's not saying a lot because you don't have a lot of stuff going on here. Whoopi Goldberg's here for a minute. So do with that as you will. She shows up and has fun, I guess. Will Arnett is the reason this is bad. Like, I see how, I see how, like, if you are, like, you know, a guy who grew up with the 80s cartoon, you look to Vernon, you're like, 
We need to put that guy in the movie. He was funny. I could only relate to old men. So you get Will Arnett to do a silly job of being a guy. He is just Will Arnetting all over the place, and it's not fun or interesting. And it deflates every scene, and he seems like he's bad at this, and you don't like him. Is it this one where there's the extended shot of him trying to, like, pull a wire out of a wall or something? And you're just like, shut up, Will. You're useless. We don't need you in here. Vernon in here. I get it. Like, like I do get that. But this is not how you go about it. It's not fun. He sucks. And he's hot for April. And you're like, shut up. We don't want to see you. We're here for the ugly Shrek creatures that look stupid and have big eyes and scary noses who are, like, hot for Megan Fox. That's lame. We don't like you. And the other part, you're like, oh, yeah. There was clearly an idea here that got pushed to the sideline is William Fickner as Eric Sachs. Yeah, Eric Sachs. What is he? He's a businessman with ties to the Foot Clan. Oh, so he's the Shredder. No, no, he's not, he's, he's not the Shredder. That, that, that might be what the script originally said, but he's not the Shredder. He's not the Shredder, okay? He's not. It's this guy that's in silhouette who shows up at the end in a big suit. That's the Shredder. Terrible design for the Shredder. I've talked about this before. He's too bulky. He's got two big hand f***s. What, what, what's going on there? It's bad. It doesn't look good. A bad, everyone has a bad design. Splinter looks like a freaking creep. This is this little guy running about. Tony Shalhoub. Good idea. Bad execution. Not working well here. And the story's just kind of like lame. Because, oh my goodness, what it's like... The, like, resurgence of, like, what is it called, like, Project Renaissance or something is what April's dad worked on. And then she goes to Saks, like, hey, you that thing that happened to my dad, I think it, I think it's real. Like, I think there's some stuff out there. And he's like, first off, no. I'm a greedy businessman. Second off, you're kind of cute, though. Like, oh, yeah. What a movie. What a movie. And April meets the turtles, the classic introduction, and it's not that interesting. And you, the turtles themselves, it's there's some inspired casting in there where you're like, okay, yeah, I see how you would get certain people to be in this movie, like Alan Richson and Terrence Howard. You know, I get how like they are perfect for that vibe. And then you don't do really anything with them. They're kind of silly, I guess. But are they that silly? And I don't know. I, the sequences that people know, they get kidnapped. They're pumped up with adrenaline. There's the shot where they're going down like the mountain. So that's cool, I guess. And then like, you know, the big fight with Shredder at the end. It's on a rooftop and there's like a laser, I think. I don't know. Was there a laser? Am I thinking of the next one? It's so unmemorable. Like, you're just like, yeah, I mean, this is hitting the beats. That's what we want from these things, right? Like, they have all the stuff. They make jokes. They understand what they are. They eat pizza, you radical rat. I don't like this movie. It's not the worst movie we've talked about on this channel, and it's not going to be the worst we ever talk about. But as far as, like, the Ninja Turtle movies go, I think it's the most egregious. It misses the mark more than any of them. And aside from Megan Fox, who I think is a genuine delight, not great, but she seems like she's having fun. This is a bad movie with no redeemable qualities. So I I hate it. I hate this one. And then flash forward a couple of years, they kind of were like, you know, this did this did fine. We can greenlight a sequel. There was supposed to be like a trilogy. Of course there was. Thank God that never happened because, ooh, no way it ended good. So it's out of the shadows time now. We've brightened the colors up. Everything looks a little bit better. Our budget's a little higher. What if we did exactly what the 90s did and made it the cartoon? The first movie of this batch is exactly the same trajectory of the 90s ones. What if we did the Frank Miller parody? Blah, blah, blah. Great. Better in the 90s than here. Now it's like, what if we did the cartoon? Well, that's an idea and I support it. And this is a fun movie. Like, I'm not going to tell you it's good. But I, I, I'd be hesitant to say it's bad. It's fun. It's colorful. The jokes pretty much land. This movie, for some godforsaken reason, holds a record to me personally because I saw this movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, three times opening night. 
at the same cinema. I went three times in a row with different groups of people. Why? Because I'm insane. I went by myself, I went with friends, and then I went with family. Why? In the same day? Because I'm an idiot. I've seen this more than probably <laughs> the other one, that's for sure. But this is this is kind of good. It's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. You know, what if, like, Krang just showed up? And he's like, Shredder, you've been working for me this whole time. I'm going to open a portal and make Earth Dimension X or something like that. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. At the same time, we see the turtles go to a basketball game and they're having fun. Michelangelo drops a slice of pizza onto the basketball court and yay. On that too, because Vernon's back, of course, he's taking credit for stopping the Foot Clan, which are just like guys that like, I don't know, they're like terrorists or something. He's taking credit. So people think he's a cool guy. We love him. Yeah, he's so cool. But he's like, the turtles know I didn't do it because they did it. And this story is like out of the shadows. They want to come to the spotlight and be seen by the world. Yeah, they do. Yay. And they they work with the police in this movie. And I'm like, that does not sit right with me. I have nothing against the police being like a force used in this movie to do something. Not that I'm a big fan of the police because I'm not a big fan of the police. I am a big fan, though, of the police, the band. Was that a good joke? Doesn't matter. Moving on. Fine, you use the police fine here, but the turtle's actively working with them. And Laura Linney, it's like, shut up. I don't buy that. I don't like that aesthetic or that idea, but they want to be seen by people. They want to go out into the world and be seen as heroes and all that stuff. And the Shredder has like an anti-mutagen or something, right? Like that's the plan. They have a mutagen and like an anti-mutagen because we make Bebop and Rocksteady who fucking rock steady in this movie they're so good you have two actors perfectly cast the one guy who's rock steady is from wwe if i'm not mistaken the other guy that's bebop i don't know they look the part when they're human they are hamming it up to the extreme and then when they turn into the warthog and the rhino we head down a new trajectory and everything works better these two get everything right. They are silly. They are loud. They fart a bit, but who cares? They're jovial and dumb. And you buy that they'd work for the Shredder and the Foot Clan and shit. Like, that works well. And it's so fun. Like, the, the extended sequence where they're fighting the turtles in, like, a tank going down a river is the best thing ever put to movies. Like, that is so cool. Like, we're seeing it happen. A stupid cartoon idea on the big screen in live action. That's awesome. They nailed it. Those two are perfect. No complaints of those two in any capacity. That was right. That's amazing. And then you have a couple of missteps <laughs> in terms of characters. Because we're introducing you to two classic Ninja Turtle characters. The first one, Baxter Stockman, portrayed by Tyler Perry. What? I cannot believe, he doesn't need to do this, by the way. He's a rich guy. He's making money every single day. Why is he doing this? What was the persuasion that came in to make Tyler Perry be a goofball? And he's a goofball. I love the opening bit where April's like, I have to seduce Baxter Stockman. I know, I'll just be like a woman who's an object. And this guy's never spoken to a girl in his life. If I bring up the words Comic-Con, he's going to release in his pants. And he probably did. Insane. He gets kidnapped by the Shredder to make the mutagen. He makes Bebop and Rocksteady. And he's just kind of there for a bit. It's weird that it's Tyler Perry. And it's weird that he went for like, what would you call that look he went for? classic nerd it's very bizarre i don't hate it it's not good it's not the worst performance in this movie because that my dear friends that falls to stephen amell who is in the news recently we don't need to talk about why he's wrong or why people on the shows he's worked on have nothing good to say about him but hey this was his big step up to the movies and he failed miserably because he did a terrible job portraying casey jones the worst the worst iteration of the character I've ever seen. Looks nothing like him. Wouldn't even put on a wig. Barely wears the mask. Doesn't even have rollerblades or skates or anything. Tapes some, like, wheels from a chair to, like, his shoe. 
he sucks. He doesn't deserve to win. He deserves to lose. Like the beginning when he's like hauling the prisoners away and they're attacked by the Foot Clan. Is that what happened? Were they hauling the Shredder away? Because he got, I, I don't remember. That's when the Turtles had like the big van. And he just sucks. He just sucks. And he's like, I'm going to be a detective someday. You probably could if you weren't such a bitch. Like you are just, you're ruining every scene you're in. You're not doing anything. You have no chemistry with Megan Fox. Though she's trying. She's trying to help you in so many sequences. But she has more chemistry with Will Arnett, who is inexcusably here in almost every other scene. It's very annoying. Can you tell I'm barely talking about the turtles because they are second stringers in this crap? Like, when they show up, there's some funny stuff. They jump out of a plane. That's a funny moment where Donatello just, like, jumps out and, and Michael's like, he just jumped. Like, that's funny. That's good stuff. They want to be human. Can they be human? No. They're going to team up with the police to fight Krang, who looks good. Like, you can't mess up. Krang is just a brain with tentacles. Like, that's fine. Everything else, it's okay. Like, it, the colors are better. The designs are sleeker. The jokes are funnier. The acting is the same, but it's going for a larger extreme, which I appreciate and think works to the benefit of the film. It's not great, but I'm smiling through it, and I'm, I'm like, that's like the cartoon. It's the Technodrome. It's Krang. Uh, the Shredder gets put on ice, <laughs> which I love. The last one we talked about too, Turtles Forever, the Shredder got put on ice. It's so funny that this guy in the first movie was supposed to be William Fickner. They're like, we can't have a white guy be the Shredder, so we're going to hire a man to be in silhouette. And when he shows up, he's not going to be in like the knivey finger suit. He's going to be wearing black leather and just punch a couple guys until he upsets Krang, gets frozen, and shoved into an Easter egg. Eh, yeah, yeah, you know, good movie. <sighs> what a time to be alive. Johnny Knoxville's not in this one either. It's like the actual motion capture guy. And they were treated badly on set. So, you know, bad time to be a Turtle fan. This era was bad. Like, like even doing a cartoon, nobody wants to see that. You know, like, your audience isn't there for it. So don't try it. What a movie. What else happened in it? I... They both end with, like, a big fight in the sky. And I guess, like, the cops of New York support them at the end. They're like, whoa, yeah, we did it. Which is the most Michael Bay thing imaginable where it's like, yeah, the police are good. We rock. We rule. Okay. Okay. If that's what you want to believe, you believe it. So those are the two. <laughs> oh, they're not good. They're just fine. But they exist. And God, I love being a turtle. I'm glad they exist because if everything was perfect, it's good to attempt these again. If everything was perfect, that'd be kind of shitty. I say that as a guy who likes most of them. Yeah, I don't know. Until next time, thank you all for watching this video. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And as always, I will catch you in the next one. Have fun. Stay safe. Good luck.